Hey, so today we are starting Ephesians. And Marissa, what'd you say on Wednesday when I said we're starting? Yeah, she said, are you sure? Because I told you if you were here last week, we were going to start Ephesians. And God's like, oh, yeah, really? You are? You know, and uh, so Wednesday, I told everybody on the, at a Bible study, I said, man, we're starting Ephesians on Wednesday. And, and, and that's exactly what Marissa said. Are you sure? And all of a sudden, God starts working in my head. He's like, you know what? You've got three or four days till you actually start. So, you know, you shouldn't really presume upon me like that. You're prepared if that's what I want you to do. But uh, I started thinking, all right, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And you know what? I am so grateful for the leadership in this church. I'm grateful for you guys um, that we're a body of believers that simply says, what do you want me to do now, God, and does it? Man, some places, it's what do you want me to do now, God? What do you want me to do now, God? And never do it. Other places are, man, we're doing this for you. We're doing this for you. And we're going in circles. But here, man, I, th I don't have any clue when Zane's showing up. And I don't even know what he's going to say. And he has no idea what I'm going to say. And then the poor band, I say that if you were operating under normal band circumstances, they have no idea what I'm preaching on because I don't even know for sure until I get here. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not prepared. I study hard all week, all the time, I'm talking to God, saying, God, is this what we would do? This is what, and, and I give God the freedom to bring out what he wants to bring out. And it's so amazing that none of us knows what the other one's going to do, but it always goes together, man. And uh, today is, is no exception to that. It's amazing. You know that you're going to hear from God in this. And as I hear Zane, you know, you know, get, uh, you weren't preaching today or anything, were you, brother? <laughs> Y'all worked up. I, I sometimes get up here and say, God, don't let me mess this service up now, you know. But after Zane's done what he's done in, in the band, it gives, and it goes right along with what God has given me. It's given me great confidence to bring the rest to you as to what God wants. But we are going into Ephesians today. And, and even yesterday, as I was digging in, saying, God, here's my outline that I've had all week. God, here's what I wanted to do. All spiritual blessings, which you're going to get next week, I'm just going to tell you. We're not even going that far this week. But, man, he's like just had me sticking on the first two verses, the introduction of it. And as I'm going, I'm saying, God, I don't even know how to preach on the introduction. He said, oh, good, then read the book of Revelation. I'm like, what? So yesterday, I sat down on my back porch with earplugs in, man, and I read the book of Revelation from start to finish. And you guys do know that's how it was originally designed when John gave it to the church, um, you know, in, 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 in Ephesus and gave it to the different churches in Asia Minor to read this. They were actually going to just stand up and say, blah, blah, blah. And they were going to read it from start to finish. And they would understand the context. They would understand the imagery. So, you know, there was a beast instead of, a, uh, instead of a, an emperor demanding worship so that if there were Romans infiltrating, they wouldn't kind of get busted for that because there were plenty of people getting busted for being Christians at the time anyways. But they would sit and they would read it. I, I want to ask you a question. Has anybody here just opened the book of Revelation and read it from, front, from the first chapter to the end? Dude, it's awesome. And again, I want to encourage you to do it. As I was reading, I said, you know how many people need to read this? Not, not try to figure out everything, who the horns, who the everything. Man, just read it. Read it with a telescope instead of a microscope. So often we read scripture, we read it with a microscope because that's, that's how we've been trained through our preaching and through our teaching. And Oh, well, now we have to have a series on this. And so we, we, we try to make it last and we try to break it up so it's going to make sense in, the, in people's minds. But man, this is the word of God. 
Whether it makes sense in your mind or not, it's got to make sense in your heart. And you know what? There's one overwhelming message in the book of Revelation. I told you a few weeks ago when we talked about those two chapters. And it's two words. You guys remember what the two words were? We win. Everybody say that. What is the book of Revelation? We win. That's it. Period. And, and, and you read that book, you're going to see it does not look like we're going to win. So often for the church, it looks like they're not going to win. The world thinks we're losers, right? Remember when you were preaching, Russ? world thinks we're losers, but we're really winners. And they think they're winners, but they're losers. And we don't want them to lose. That's why we got to know we win. And no matter what it looks like now, we've got to lead them to the winning team. Show them what it looks like to be on the winning team. If you don't believe you win in eternity, how is anyone else going to believe? Well, I'll tell you, they are going to believe because the Spirit of God's going to put it in their heart. But boy, God has made a plan where he wants to use you and me. That we are living for eternity on this planet in the present we're living for eternity because we know we win and and that's what the world needs to see that's what a witness is in all of this and so man i don't even know where i was going with that, that that's where i was going with that but the point is man i was reading the book of revelation i'm like all right god so are we really doing ephesians oh you want me to do all 22 chapters in one sitting oh no thank god all right no but that would be awesome wouldn't it in fact, I'm even thinking that at some point, I don't know who's all going to be interested or not, because, man, whenever you preach the book of Revelation, everybody's excited in the first six, seven, eight chapters, and then, and then verses like 9 through like 18, it's almost like how God describing how he's destroying this universe so he can clean it up and make a new one, and how many different ways he can, you know, just destroy the things, and people get kind of lost, and then they're like the last two. But I'm really thinking somewhere, somehow, y'all pray for where this will be. But I know at some point I'm supposed to teach through the book of Revelation, and it might be a side thing, might be a Tuesday thing, might be a Thursday thing, might, uh, I don't know when it's going to be, but y'all pray, because dude, it is rich. It is the end. It's the book that's telling us how it all ends. And you say, well, what does that all have to do with Ephesians? I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to use a couple chapters out of it today to talk about the first two verses in Ephesians in this. So take a look. I want to uh, get you started in the book of Ephesians here. And uh, JJ, let's see. I'm pushing. Just keep pushing. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Keep. What's that? No, my oh, there's my clicker right there. All right. So in the book of Ephesians, all right, I'm going to get into who wrote it, when it was written, how it was all written. But here's the point of the book of Ephesians, exactly what Zane was talking about, what the Psalms were talking about is that the point that the Apostle Paul wants to make to the persecuted church, and you do understand almost the entire New Testament was written to a persecuted church. We put it all in American context of like, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, means, you know, I can, I can make the successful business, I can do all, we bring all these things into it, and dude, these people are living for survival, they're living for him, and, he's made, and it's hard to live for him in this world, to live exclusively for him, because even Jesus said, all those that seek to be righteous will be persecuted. There will be persecuted. We talked about it before, that, dude, we live in a chicken world. And if you live in a chicken world, what's your favorite smell? Chicken, dude. And ain't nothing wrong with chicken, right? But... But how many of y'all hate the smell of fish? Anybody here hate the smell of fish? Yeah. So Ashley hates the smell of fish. So, man, that's the world. The world hates the smell of fish. That's what Christ is. Christ is the smell of fish. 
and Christ was the ultimate fish, and they crucified him. So the more we smell like fish, the more the chicken world wants to crucify us. The more we act like Christ, the more we live like Christ, the more we apply that to our life, the less the world's going to like us. And if your whole goal in life is to be liked, man, make it to be liked by God. <laughs> To be loved by God. Make it live for an audience of one. Because he says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what? Everything will be added unto you. And so Paul is trying to tell the Ephesians, which, by the way, he's writing this in prison. He wrote Philippians, the book of love. So Paul, as he was going, you guys remember when we were in Acts, he got arrested. All right. This was still kind of mamby-pamby kind of persecution time. It wasn't really, really bad, but Paul almost insisted on getting arrested just so he could have a, say, a hearing with the people who were higher up to share the gospel with them. And so he's, in, he's arrested. He's actually under kind of house arrest. He's actually paying for the house um, that he's in. He can have visitors and stuff, but he's going through these different trials, and while he's there chained to four Roman soldiers, hey, what do you think he's doing when he's chained to those soldiers, Chris? Praying? Okay, yeah, he's praying when, yeah, he's praying, but then as soon as he's done praying, what's he doing, y'all? He's preaching, man. Can you imagine being one of the soldiers? Either you want to be chained to him again, or you don't ever want to be chained to him again, right? And, and so he's preaching, but when he's got time, God had to slow him down. He wrote the book of Philippians. The book of joy was written from prison, and he said, yeah, God had to slow me down to get me to pay attention. Anybody ever had to be slowed down to be paid attention? Yeah, and he wrote the book of Ephesians, he wrote that, uh, and he wrote the book to the Colossians, and he wrote Philemon, and they're all kind of related in this little time period when he's in prison. So he gets out, goes back preaching again, but in the meantime, what happened was that Nero burned Rome. Now, I do know that modern historians are now saying, no, that's not true, that's not what I, we only get our information from the Bible, but the Bible, in the context of our biblical scholars and the pastors who lived during that time and the writings we have from them, they tell us, Nero burned Rome. He thought it was going to be cool, Ryan. Dude, burn Rome, let's burn Jensen Beach and build everybody new houses, yeah! How many of y'all would like that? Erica, Scott, would you like it if all of a sudden you came home and your house was burnt and they were going to build you a new one? No, dude, I wanted to get some stuff out. I like that old car. I like these old, you know. And, and, and all of a sudden, people weren't happy with the fact their town got burned down. And so all of a sudden, they turn on Nero and everything. And then who does he find it convenient to blame? The Christians. And that is what history tells us. He blamed the Christians. And the Jews already wanted the Christians out because they didn't want to be associated with them. The Romans were like, you know, you guys aren't worshiping our gods, which is, you know, our sun god, our moon god, our weather god, and, and of course, our emperors who are gods. You are worshiping those. So you guys are exclusive to this. What? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You're the only... No, dude. We have a bunch of gods. We have proof. They're all gods. And so there was easy to put that persecution there. That's when persecution started really heavy in the mid-60s. In the mid-60s, the original mid-60s. That's when it really kind of got going. And all of a sudden, Paul found himself arrested. Peter found himself arrested. And that's when these guys died. And then it was like 30 years later that God then brings John on the scene or protected John, who pastored the church at Ephesus for a while. And, and John then writes the book of Revelation. So this book of Ephesians was written in kind of like in the early 60s. 
It was written in the early 60s before persecution really kind of became hardcore. Um, but Paul knew what was getting ready to happen. And so what Paul is trying to share in all of his books, even in Philippians, peace has nothing to do. Uh, it's the book of joy. Joy has nothing to do with your circumstances, right? Joy has nothing to do. Joy has only, the only one thing to do with, and that is your relationship with God. The fact that you have a home in heaven and an eternal God that lives inside of you right now, that should bring all the joy that you will ever need for anything. And if you need joy in anything else, he says, get right with God and make that the only source of your joy. So in Ephesians, Colossians, he's addressing a church problem, kind of in Ephesians, he said, look, I'm just going to tell you flat out theology on why spiritual blessings are better than material blessings. How many of y'all believe spiritual blessings are better than material blessings? Yeah, but how many of y'all start crying when your material blessings aren't there? You know, we're real big. We raise our hand. Oh, yeah, because we got everything we need. What if all those ships off California are all the supply chain that we're going to have? And all of a sudden, I'm not saying it is, isn't, or whatever. I don't know. And I don't care because I know the one who does know. And I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything I need will be added unto me. Bruce Lee, oh, he's down there, man. We know where about a thousand acres of swamp cabbage is, so we ain't gonna starve. But I'm just saying, have a chainsaw, a machete, whatever, we're good. But even if the swamp cabbage is gone, I don't care because I know the one who promises it's gonna take care of me. So it's really easy for us to say, yeah, I got everything I need, boom. But man, what happens when you don't have what you need? Do you still believe that spiritual blessings are better than material blessings? And what makes them better? Let me ask you guys that question, because I'm going to hit it in Scripture here in a little bit. What, who would say, who believes that material, spiritual blessings are better? And, and tell me, give me a reason why. Yeah, go ahead, brother. Give me one reason why spiritual blessings are better than material. Yeah, we're going to talk about that as we get in here. And try is nothing more than when you're born again. That's living for him. You seek first. That's your trying that you're talking about. You seek first him, and he provides everything you need. And God often determines his will for your life by the resources that he provides. What else? Why are, else are, material, why are spiritual blessings more? Yeah, go ahead, my brother. Why are spiritual blessings better than material blessings? Oh, God knows what we need. You mean we don't know what we need? How many of y'all ever bought something you don't need? <laughs> what do you think Goodwill's full of? I'm just saying, you know? And, and yeah, God knows what we need. Exactly. Not what we necessarily want. You know, buyer's remorse. Yeah, God knows what we need. What else? Why else, Santa, why are spiritual blessings better than material blessings? What's that? They last way longer. Yeah. They last way longer, and not only are they longer in length, but they're better in quality because they last forever. They, they're what we truly need, and they last forever. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, you were? Good. Two minds thinking alike. Beautiful. Yeah, they're eternal. So they come from God. They're what we need. They last forever. Anything else of why spiritual blessings? Yeah, go ahead, Rick. Yeah. Who God is. Yeah, you ever get a gift from somebody and you're like, well, that's what I'd expected from them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? Yeah, you get, you understand who God is by what he gives you and what he wants you to do. Anything else? Any, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, that exactly. That's what Rome, the Israelites wanted external salvation. You know, make us king of the universe and put us in charge. He said, no, I want to be king of your heart. I want to make it internal, not external. And when you got the internal, nobody can take that from you. Nobody can take it from you. You can try taking it from yourself, but you still got it. You know, external people can steal you blind. They're probably doing that at your house right now as we're going to be here for a while. And you'd be going home. Oh, my goodness. I just said spiritual blessings are better than the material. And all my stuff's gone. I, I, I'm right there with you. We, that's what the beauty of the book of Ephesians is. It's going to teach us. Paul is going to give every single kind of person here, whoever we are, who we become, who we are that week we're studying, he's going to show us why spiritual blessings are so much better than material blessings. And so often when people say, oh, I've been blessed, I've been blessed. Yes, we have material blessings. And material blessings are not bad, are they? If they come from him, they're, they're good. But they're not nearly the quality of the spiritual blessings that we're going to have. And that's what the book of Ephesians really is all about. Though if you want to find out of, 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 about these spiritual blessings, that's what Paul keeps harping to all the churches that are going to get this letter. And you know what's interesting? The churches that are going to get this letter that Paul's writing from prison, it's going to be delivered to the same churches that 30 years later john delivers to the churches um, in the book of revelation they're the same churches and so that's why we're going to take a look at those churches to kind of get a an idea of who those people were and you know what you're going to find out every one of us can identify with one or more of those churches and so there will be something in ephesians for each of us maybe hopefully every week every verse there'll be something for us to know to prove to us that spiritual blessings are better than material blessings and so we're starting out with this. Um, I want to tell you, uh, we've got to look at the context of Ephesians. If you don't look at the context of a, of a book, you don't look at the context of a chapter, you don't look at the context of a verse, then you get to make it say whatever you want it to say. Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you ever written a letter or how many of you have ever said a bunch of stuff and somebody picked a piece out and made it say something you didn't want to say? Anybody ever done that? How'd you feel about that? Were you happy? Oh, yeah. You're welcome to take whatever I say and make it say whatever you want it to say. Is that right? No. And if it isn't right for us, it certainly isn't right for God. There's a context for every book of the Bible. There's a context of the Bible. You know, who, who is the Bible about? I'll give you an Is it about God or is it, who's the Bible about, Pastor? It's about Jesus. You cut the Bible anywhere it bleeds. But yet we've trained a generation to think the Bible is about us. No, it's not. And if you don't get what the Bible's saying about Jesus, you'll never reap the benefits of it for yourself. But if you try to make it all about you, you whack it all out of context. So the Bible's about Christ. He's revealing it to us. So you have to know the, tech, the context of what you're talking about. Uh, in the same way, Kevin, up at MFI, man, you get letters. Do they make official memos and send out new rules as life gets dynamic and different things they change? Ever? Yeah, you guess, dude. JJ, where is JJ? I, JJ would have been writing them, right, on behalf of Kevin or somebody. Anyways, but do you get to make it say whatever you want to say? You can make a, you're not helping me, brother, at all. You're not listening, all right? All right, mom, help him listen, all right? I, I'm going to pray for you now. Now I know what you're up against. <laughs> he's just got those headphones in, and he's dialed into whatever the tower's saying or whatever. All right, so 
Uh, so here's what I want to say. A text without a context is a pretext. Take that to the bank with every verse of scripture you read. You read a verse, you better read the whole little section. You read the section, you better read the whole uh, chapter. You read the chapter, you better read the whole book. You read that book, you better read the whole Bible because it all comes together and everywhere you cut it, it bleeds because the Bible's about who? It's about Christ. So we've got to understand the context. So what I want to look at super quick, and you know my super quick, <laughs> uh, who wrote this, all right? And who was it written to? And what did they need? Isn't that a good way to look at it? Who wrote it? Um, uh, who, who was it written to? And what do they need? So take a look at Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. I'm using the ESV in this, and uh, I think it's a great translation for it. Um, it says, Paul. Now, the way they wrote letters back then is the dude who wrote it. He started off by saying, I'm writing this letter, and I'm writing it to this person for this purpose. So we see it in the first two verses here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So as you know, he wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't even the one to replace Judas. But later, God on the road to Damascus knocked him silly. It said, I want you to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, man. I want you to bring the gospel. And uh, the book of Acts is about his missionary journeys and, and, and other people's missionary journeys too. But he was called by God to preach the word of God, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, all right? And it, is, it was God's will. He's doing what God wanted him to do. And he said, this is to the saints from Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, look. If you look at this in the Greek, I'm going to throw this at you a little bit. He said, to the saints who are, and then in many of the old, old manuscripts, the ones older than our King James Bible, the ones even older than the New Living and the ESV, which are some of the more modern, the, the manuscripts, the oldest manuscripts, they don't have an Ephesus in there. You're like, well, the Bible's messed up. No, the Bible's not messed up. It doesn't change our theology, but it's almost like there's a blank to the saints who are faithful in christ jesus that's in what many of the older manuscripts it's not especially to Ephesus. now why would they say it because later we're going to find out that basically it was written to somebody who was going to bring it to ephesus but then they would bring it to all the churches in asia minor which were the same churches that P, uh, that john later sent his message from christ to in the book of Revelation. So it's to the saints who are around Ephesus, if you will. But it's to the saints, if you take that out, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. How many of y'all think this book's for you? Look who it's for. To the saints that are faithful in Christ Jesus. To be faithful is what? Full of what? Faith. Faith. Uh, so one more time, get this. Faithful is not like you're going to find in the very first church we look at, Ephesus, dude, they were cranking, doing everything. We determine faithfulness often by people's actions, right? They are faithful to be there every time we're doing this. They are faithful, but that's not what faithful means. That's a result of faithfulness. Faithful means you are full of what? Faith. So ask God, say, God, honestly, what am I full of? Ask God that. And if he says you're full of faith, and here's why, boom, 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 boom. Because often, as long as we show up and we do this and we don't do that and we dot the line and cross our T, do all of that, we consider ourselves faithful, right? In fact, most people think, I show up to church every week, man, I'm faithful. No, Billy Graham's wife a long time ago said, you can no longer, uh, you can no, no more become a 
car by sleeping in a garage than you can become a Christian by sitting in a church. You know what I'm saying? That's not what makes you faithful is being full of faith. And where does faith come from? It comes from God. It's a gift God gives you. And if you use it, what happens? You get more. If you don't use it, you lose it. It goes away. So he says, man, for those who are faithful in Jesus Christ, not faithful to a doctrine, not faithful to a form of theology, not faithful to, and again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I know plenty of people that are faithful to their title. They are faithful to a pastor. And then when that pastor messes up and lets them down, oh my goodness, their whole walk with Christ is gone. It could be even to a church. But people are faithful to so many things, but he says faithful in Christ Jesus. Your faith is in him. That's who this book is for. But again, he wrote this book. It went, you're going to see in the next few weeks or so, he sent it to Ephesus. But then it was passed on to the different churches. And in essence, it's the same churches that 30 years later, John writes from Christ to, which are the churches found in the book of Revelation. So that's who it's written to. And he says, here's what you guys need. So it's written to these people who are faithful. And they have all levels of faith you're going to see as we study these different churches. But he says, here's what you need more than anything. Look what he says. First thing he says, what do they need? What's the first word? Grace. Philippians 2.13. I know it's not the only definition of grace, but it's the most practical working definition I have of grace. I know it means a gift. It's the word charis. It's a gift God gives us. But whatever he gives us is given so that we can worship and serve him. And Philippians 2.13, if you write that down, grace is the desire and ability to do what God wants you to do. Chris, God tells you go climb that big old tower because, and there's already somebody big up there, but they need to hear the gospel, dude. And two of you might toppled over, but God tells you he'll give you the desire and ability to do it. <laughs> I'm just saying whatever he gives you the desire for, he'll give you the ability. That's what grace is. That's how you got saved. You had no desire to give your life to Christ until he gave that to you. And then he gave you the ability to do it. And that's what grace is. So he says you need grace. As you walk through this earth, Carolee, you're going to face some hard times. Wait till you get older, Carolee. You just wait. I'm just saying. I'm not, but man, you're going to face things where decisions that in the flesh you want to do this, but you know God wants you to do this. And you need his grace, the desire and ability to do what he wants you to do because your flesh wants this. And you need that grace. And once you do what God wants you to do because he's given you the ability to do it, you get what? What's the next part? peace he said man you know what you guys need you guys you guys too we don't need anything more than grace and peace and that's what he's going to show us in this book of ephesians how how dude through grace and peace you will be able to tap into all the spiritual blessings you will ever need in this life now if you're looking for material blessings you probably got the wrong religion <laughs> you probably got the wrong theology you got the wrong church you got the wrong bible you got the wrong christ but yet that's what we keep trying to turn him into is a material God to bring us material things when he says, man, they're going to rot. They're perishable. Invest in the things that will last forever. You need grace and peace. And that grace and peace comes from who? God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And plus, he's going to throw the Holy Spirit in there, too, later. So it comes from the Trinity. It comes from God. It doesn't come. It comes from God. It can come through people. And I am so grateful that God gives me grace and peace through some of you. 
I'm grateful we can be conduits of it, but don't miss where it comes from. It comes from him. Because as soon as we start thinking it comes from somebody else, we start trying to tap into them instead of God. And the ones we try to tap into just may not be there when we need them. You've got to always worship God. It's got to be God. Pastor, did you ever have people be disappointed by you, man? <laughs> yeah, dude. Man, that's why I tell people. It's like, you're counting on me. Man, go talk to my wife and see how foolish that is. I am going to disappoint you, not on purpose. I'm a human. I'm just like you. I'm in the same boat as you as a believer. I just have a different seat. And I'm held to a different accountability. But dude, I'm a human just like you. All I can do is find the source, tap into that source, live it and say, here's what God's done in my life. Now you do it. And we're all having faith. We're finding grace and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what God did. Why he had me read the whole book of Revelation yesterday to pick out a little part about the seven churches. We don't really know a lot about the seven, about the churches that got this letter of, to Ephesus that went to all of those churches um, during that time, during the mid-60s. We know that things were starting to heat up persecution-wise in that area. We do know from the book of Acts that, dude, Paul got run out of Ephesus. We know that Paul pastored in Ephesus. We know that later Timothy pastored in Ephesus. So we know things that went on in 2 Timothy where Paul's writing stuff, or 1 Timothy where he's writing stuff. You know, and, and then John pastored the majority of it. And so probably one of the best ways to kind of be able to empathize or even understand the people he's talking to is to look at the book of Revelation in these seven churches. And now, dude, we could do a series that could last forever on that. But I think today is simply more of just an overview of who they are. And see if at different times in our life we can identify with these seven churches. We can identify because in these seven churches you're going to find a personal message. Basically each of us is rep right now. I guarantee you if you look, ask Holy Spirit. He'll show you which of the seven churches you are personally. <clears throat> He'll also, these were also churches that were actually there at the time. Which is the way we're really looking at it. But many also believe that these seven churches are a prophetic message. I believe that. That it's going to be the progression of the church through history. We're going to look at Ephesus, which starts out as the first century church. And Ephesus, man, they were doing all the ministry. Things were happening. But Christ came and said, man, I have a problem with you. Lost your first what? Love. You're doing all this stuff, but you're not doing it out of a motivation of love for me. So guess what happens next to the church? All of a sudden, there becomes intense persecution. We hit the church in Smyrna. And there's intense persecution. That was what happened after the first century church. Remember I told you they had a big manure pile? They were killing all the grass underneath. And God, through persecution, takes them and starts scattering them. And that's when the mission work began. But they were persecuted. Hey, when churches become persecuted, when Christianity is persecuted, what happens to the fake Christians? What happens to people who are playing Christian? They leave. They go find something more favorable or start something of their own that's more favorable, whatever. But what happens to the real Christians? You have no choice but to do what? Stay and grow and experience supernatural things that God has for you in life. The real Christians can't leave. <laughs> they don't want to leave. There might be some times they do, yes, but they can't. Some theologians call it the perseverance of the saints, man. You leave, you're coming back. You're, you're eternally saved. You can't leave. And the church in Smyrna, there was intense persecution. Until later, Constantine, the emperor, he married 
the government. Constantine, the emperor, all of a sudden won a battle, they say, that he could never win. It's on the line, in the sky, in this sign, conquer, and it was a cross, and so he won a battle. Now he came back to Rome, and what did he do? He said, all you people are now Christians. Can you imagine that? I mean, wouldn't that be great if it worked? <laughs> Go back to Plant City. That, I'm giving you a, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to tell you what happened. I went to Plant City, and, and, and I just told everybody, they're all Christians now, so they're all Christians. And, and, and I know the mayor, so he's going to make them all Christians. <laughs> what? You can't do that. People have to be born again as Christians. You, you, you have to have the power of God living in you to do what Christ has called you to do. You can't just make an edict that people are Christians. Otherwise, they can't uphold the standard God has. They have no desire for it. And they're not doing it out of a motivation to love God. They're doing it to stay out of trouble. And they're failures at it. So when they get in power, guess what they're going to do? They're start corrupting things. And they're going to turn Christianity upside down and make it something it isn't. So that's what happens in the church. Pergamus, the word Pergamus means married. And it was when Constantine made everybody, a, 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 made everybody a Christian and the church got married to the government. The very next church, Tyatira, they started getting bad doctrine, non-biblical doctrine, bringing it in. And now they're like, yeah, this is good. We are the hierarchy and we say this is okay. So you guys who can't read, that's what the Dark Ages were about, guys. The Dark Ages were where people couldn't read and they could only find out what the Bible said by somebody telling them. And so the hierarchy in Tyatira was now saying, this is okay. It's okay to worship this way. It's okay to do this. And then that changed from compromise to the next church in, uh, uh, not Tyatira, it changed to the next church and it was, and it was just flat out corrupted. And then it got down to the next church in Sardis where it was dead. There was only a teeny remnant. Many people, many people believe that was when the Reformation happened. A teeny remnant, a tiny remnant said, no matter what, Zane, I'm sticking to what the Word of God says. And I'm going to risk my life to get the Word out, to get the Bible written in, in, in languages people can read so they aren't left in the dark anymore. And then all of a sudden, you got the Church of Philadelphia where God says, I'm opening doors nobody can shut, and I'm shutting doors nobody can shut. And we have great awakenings in the world. Man, I got goosebumps because I would have loved to have been alive in that time. But I wasn't. I'm alive now, and I got goosebumps from that because I can't wait to see what's happening next. After Philadelphia, you know what happens? Laodicea. It's a church where Jesus is knocking on the door to get into his own church. Most people believe that's where we're at right now. Do you understand? You preach Christ in a lot of churches. That's why I always tell you, if I don't scare you off, if we don't scare you off, welcome to the family. Because a lot of people come to church and don't want to hear about Christ. They don't want to hear about the Bible. They want to hear how it can help them, how it can make your life here better, how it can do it. And we're preaching eternity because that's what Christ wrote the Bible for. We don't live for this world. And if you understand this is not your home, you can sure dig this place a whole lot better, can't you? Man, can you imagine what it'd be like right now to find all your hope and satisfaction in this economy, in this government, in this world system? <laughs> You'd be miserable. That's why we've got to tell them about the other one. And so Tyatira, they, it was like, he said, dude, you guys aren't hot or cold, man. You're lukewarm. You make me want to puke. That's literally what he said. And that's where I believe we're at in church history now. But there's a practical message. And let's pick this apart in the next few minutes that we have. And uh, 
And let's take a look at it here. So Paul wrote to these churches in Asia Minor. This is 30 years after the fact. But listen, dude. I mean, some things in 30 years have stayed the same, right? How many of y'all's parents, have, uh, their style has the same? <laughs> yeah, she's better. This is what you wore 30 years ago. Uh, yeah, I'm probably never going to change. This is it, dude. Don't buy me none of them skinny jeans, man. I want to look like a penguin. <laughs> all right. You ever see old man in skinny jeans? It's like, dude, get you some boot cut. All right, I'm just saying. <laughs> but listen, do you guys understand? 30 years ago was when? The 90s. You're like, oh, no. Don't say that. No, 30 years goes in. So a lot of ways, things don't really change, but yet they do change. And so what happened in 30 years from the time that Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians to the time that John wrote Jesus Christ's letter to the, the same group of people, the persecution had it been a little bit more intense. But understand, a few years after Paul wrote this, the persecution really got heavy because that's when he got crucified or he got killed. That's when Peter got killed and so on. God, did John, what did they try to do to him? They tried to kill him. Remember what they tried to do to him? They boiled him in cooking oil and he survived. <laughs> he survived. Must have been people didn't know how to deep fry and they didn't get the grease hot enough. I'm just saying. <laughs> he just come out greasy, man. He was like, oh, man, no more ashy skin for me. I'm just, but literally... Literally, they try to boil him. And then this is over the years. He's preaching faithfully to the church in Ephesus as an old man. And then they send him off to the Isle of Patmos. And on a Sunday, as a one-man one worship experience with the Holy Spirit of God. Not a pity party, but a worship experience. And God rocks his world and rocks ours with the book of Revelation. But starting in chapter 2, verse 1, he starts telling Jesus Christ writes a letter through John, to give to the church at Ephesus, who's going to then give it to the, church, the other churches. So all these churches wrote the, read these letters about the other churches, and they're all in the same area. If, if you, you know where Israel is, let me see if I can, so, hmm, God, man, I'm backwards here. If, if, if you know where Israel is, and this is the Mediterranean Sea, all up in here is where modern-day Turkey is. That's Asia Minor, and that's where all those churches are. They're all up in there. It's where the, if, if those guys didn't get saved, none of us would have probably got saved because that's where it spread to Europe. It spread all over the world from there, the gospel. So he's writing to these churches. And first one he comes to is the cold church. Everybody say cold. Okay. And what I mean by cold, I ain't talking temperature. I'm talking about a church that was just cold for Christ. They were busy doing stuff, but they were not doing it for the right reason. They weren't doing it because they were madly in love with Christ anymore. You ever see a baby Christian, man? You ever see a baby Christian, man, when they give their life to Christ? Dude, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? They love Jesus, and they're charging hell with a water pistol, dude. They're loving Jesus, man, and they're, they're doing whatever. And what are some of you older Christians, lukewarm Christians, which there are no lukewarm Christians, but what some of the people do? Oh, they'll get like us and they'll settle down soon. No, we should be inspired by them. They're doing it out of love. And you're like, well, they don't know any better. We've got a good balance between the world. and No, dude, we're going to talk about that. But man, that's what, at the very beginning, they were doing everything out of love. Now they're just doing it out of duty. Out of duty. So check this out, the cold church. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. 
The word angel is the word messenger, and most people believe it's not like a flying angel. What, angel, what the word messenger is, is the pastor. I'm writing this. You get this letter to the pastor of Ephesus, and this is what I want you to write. The words of him, the words of the person who holds the seven stars, that's the pastor of these seven churches, in his right hand controls all the power these pastors are going to have. So they can have carnal power, right, Zane? But if they're going to have power from the Holy Spirit, where's it coming from? It's coming from God Almighty himself. That's the only source of that power. He says, I'm holding the power to these guys. And if they're not doing what I want them to do, dude, I ain't giving them power. I'm not giving them power to misrepresent me. So he says, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the right hand is power, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Hey, who is it that brings light to this world? The world we live in now. It's the church, Christ living in the church. So here's what he's saying. I'm holding power. I got plenty of power to give these pastors if they want it. If they don't want it, they let me know about what they're preaching and what they're doing. And he said, I am walking through the church. You know God is walking through this church right now. I'm saying, like, dude, where is he at? You know, where is he? Where is he, Santa? He's right inside of you. God is aware of what's going on in the church. He's aware of it, is what he's saying. And it's for, he says this for all the churches here. So he said, I'm walking among these seven golden lampstands. He said, I know you're what? I know. So have you ever done something and, 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 and thought God didn't know what you're doing? Have you ever done something like, man, you know, have you ever just got there and you're doing it and said, nobody appreciates me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Man, and sometimes we do things for that. Don't do you ever do things because you want to be appreciated by people? Come on, you human beings. You do. Don't be all pious and spiritual for me. How many of y'all done something for somebody and they didn't even notice and you got all hurt and went and cried? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Shows you your real motivation in all of this. But he goes on, he says, man, I know your works. If nobody else sees your works or lack thereof, who sees them? God sees them. So if nobody else is looking, he's looking. You've always got an audience of one. So who do you live for? The audience of one. And I guarantee if you're living for that audience of one, he's going to make it known to whoever needs to have it made known. And you will be a witness. And sometimes you'll think nobody's watching. And all of a sudden later, some co-worker said, I've been watching you for years. Some neighbor said, I've been watching. Dude, I hear you guys. I can hear through your windows. And man, you know, y'all are different. I pray they would say that about us. Some days they could, some days they couldn't. All right, but... I'm just saying, I know your works. He looks at, I know your toil. That word toil means hard, sweat, working harder than you could ever even work. I mean, it is where you are just whooped. You ever been there, brother, working on your house? Yeah, that's what you told me last week. Dude, I am toiled. <laughs> that, that is, I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm, I'm, man, I'm whooped. I'm whooped. Zane, you ever been there? Toiled, man. I don't even know if toiled's a word, but that's what they are. They're toiled, man. I know your works. I know your toil. I know you're whooped, you're worn out, and your patient endurance. Patience, the Greek word for patience, is enduring joyfully under a heavy load. I've had the joy of being able to hang out with moms and little kids a little bit in the last month or so on boats and paddleboards. And, and I would say that some of you moms, I see your mom face, 
<laughs> you don't want to yell at them. You don't want to smack the crud out. You do, but you don't. I'm just saying, you know, put them in a holy headlock. You just because we all have cameras now, dude. That would get you know. Back in the day, bam, didn't have to worry about it. <laughs> but I'm just saying, your patient endurance. I'm watching moms enduring joyfully under a heavy load. Oh, it's okay that my kid's being a brat right now. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just enjoying again. He said, I see all this that you're doing. This is a lot for this church to be doing. And look, and I know how you cannot bear those who are evil. In other words, you're calling out the people that are evil. Evil is anything against what God says is good. Man, how many of y'all are like, how many of y'all right now said, dude, they've done passed me up. I see evil. I kind of like, oh, I don't want to see it. So I don't have to say anything. I don't want, you know, I just want to put up with it because I don't like conflict or whatever. I mean, how many of y'all would say, I have a hard time calling out evil? Yeah, most of you who can't raise your hand right now because you're that passive of a person anyways. But he said, I know how you can't bear those who are evil, but you've tested by the word of God those who call themselves apostles, and they're not. There's people, just because somebody preaches the word of God doesn't mean they're preaching the their biblical theology. People twist Satan when he tempted Jesus. After Jesus used the Bible the first few times, he said, oh, just jump. Psalm 92 says, I think Psalm 92, 91 or 92, says, Psalm 92 says, if you jump, he won't let you dash your foot against a stone. You just jump and he'll save you and you won't have to go to the cross. <laughs> Satan uses the word of God and twists it. We got to know the word of God and know it in context. So he says, man, you guys have tested those who call themselves apostles and they're not. And you have found them to be false. These sound like good dudes, right? What's he got bad to say about them and to, to be more like him? He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So far, how many of y'all would like to be an Ephesian? How many of y'all got a little work to do to become an Ephesian? Anybody at this point? But they're doing stuff, doing stuff. Everybody would say they're faithful, they're faithful, they're faithful. But look what he says. But I have this against you. You have abandoned. What does it mean to abandon something? Marissa, what does it mean to abandon something? You leave it, which meant you had it at one time, right? And now you've abandoned it. You have now left it. He said, you have abandoned what? The love. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember at first? man. How many of y'all have ever seen somebody fall in love and all of a sudden they got different haircuts, different clothes, different... How many of you ever lost a friend because they fell in love with some girl or guy? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. When you when you fell in love with Christy, man, you lost some friends, and they were good friends. I'm just messing with you, you know. But yeah, yeah, when you fall in love with somebody, and they're like, "Oh, I like your hair that way. How do you do it? Oh, I'm doing my hair that way. Oh, they, you, however they want you, you want to please them, right? You know. And so, so that was the motivation when you fall in love with Christ, and we fall in love with Him because He first what He first what first loved us we find out how much he loved us said yes i want to fall in, i'm falling in love with you can y'all remember that in your relationship with him i hope it's fresh but i know that sometimes it's not you fall in love and when you fall in love now you just do what he wants you to do but guess what carnally you start doing what he wants you to do and if you fall out of love guess what you know i'm not going back to that so you keep doing what you did while you were in love but you're not doing it for the motivation of love anymore now, I'm not saying this happened to you in your marriage, but how many of y'all have ever seen your rotten neighbors 
I'm talking about your neighbors who fall out of love and they're just doing it because of duty. They're just being a good husband because, well, that's their duty. We've been in this too long to get divorced. Or this good, I'm going to be a good wife out of duty. And again, I'm being facetious. We all know what it's like. to. How about a job? Dude, I love this job. Remember when people get a brand new job? I love this job. This job's awesome. And then two years later, it's like, yeah, this job stinks, man. What's changed? Your love. You love the job, and then you found out what it really was, and now you're just doing it out of duty for a paycheck. You guys know what I'm talking about? I, I, I want it practical because if, you're, if God's trying to show you that you're an Ephesian, which he showed me I'm an Ephesian in a lot of ways, Man, there, there's a remedy for this because you can't just, if you just keep doing it out of duty, how long are you going to keep doing it? How good are you going to do it? Is it any fun to do it? Remember when it used to be a blast to do because you loved him? So he says, man, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. So what does he want us to do? He wants us to remember from where you fall. Remember what it used to be like. Go back and remember your salvation. Go back and think about your testimony. Go back and think about everything he's done for you. And that's what he's going to do for us in the book of Ephesians. He's going to help us fall back in love with him again in Ephesians. It's going to be awesome, guys. I hope it starts happening today. But if, we're just, if you feel like you're just operating out of duty, that's why you come to church because, well, I know Pastor Ray's going to call me this afternoon. And, no, whatever. <laughs> you know I do that because I love you, and sometimes I only do it out of duty. I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I do stuff out of duty. I want to do it out of love I want because I love you, you know? But it, again, we get in that duty mode. And, and so we got to fall back in love. And that's what's going to be the beauty of Ephesians. He's going to show us the spiritual blessings we have so that we're like, oh, my goodness, who could love me more? How could I have not fallen? Oh, my goodness, the more we learn how much he loves us, the more we love him. And all of a sudden, we're being motivated with love and not duty anymore. And we're back to where we were. He says, you got to go back and remember. And you got to repent. He said, remember where you've fallen and repent. You're walking away from God, doing it out of duty. So you can be walking away from God, doing the most religious things in the world like they were. But he said, repent, you need to turn back and come to him. And Ephesians is going to help us do that. He said, if not, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. In other words, you know what he's telling the church? And he's telling the person, he said, I don't really want you representing me like that. Man, I'll remove, it'll be purely carnal. I'll remove that supernaturalness that's been in your life and, and you'll just be like everyone else. I'll remove it if you don't repent because I don't want to be represented this way. So he said, I'm going to remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, and he brings this up again. He says, and we're only going to cover a couple of churches today. We'll go, we'll go further on uh, another day uh, next week. And then maybe in about five weeks, we'll get to verse three in Ephesians. So, but I believe he wants us to look at this. He said, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We're going to see the Nicolaitans show up in the next couple of churches. And many argue what Nicholas, they say he, maybe he was one of the first deacons. And yet he took a, a power. Anybody ever, pastor, you ever, you ever make somebody a deacon because they're nice, because they are the servant of all servants, and all of a sudden now you create a monster because you gave them a title? Yeah. Never. 
Boy, I have seen it. You have been so blessed and sheltered by God. But yeah, give somebody a title, power comes in, now they're in charge. And they're like, you better do this and this and that. Wait a minute, you're a deacon, you're a servant. The word deacon means to stir up dust, not stir up trouble. It means you're sir. But anyways, this guy Nicholas, they believe, was a deacon. But he got too big for his britches. Power went to his head. And so what he did was he started a movement now where now there was clergy, clergy, and there was poor little laity. <laughs> you know? He started a movement, and you're going to see it later how it gets brought up, how, man, there's the people in charge, and if we can start separating and making the poor little peons have to listen to the people in charge, we can control them. Is that what Christ intended for the church? In fact, a pastor is supposed to be what? A shepherd. But this is what started happening. All of a sudden, there became a hierarchy in the church. And boy, the pastor's the grand pooba. And you're going to hell if you don't do what he says. Or, and the theology. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, the pastor says this. But the Bible doesn't. Well, I don't know the pastor says it. And you create this separation. And you know what God does? I'll get off my high horse in a minute here. But I, I actually feel like I can really see you guys now. No, but... You know, have you ever been to a really old church, like in some places? They actually had a pulpit way up there where the pastor would preach down. I don't like that. <laughs> but you know what always happened in church history? Whenever the clergy became separated from the laity, the church died. <laughs> the church dies because it becomes corrupt, because you've got a human trying to lord power over a bunch of people when, honestly... We're all in the same boat, different seats. In, in, in the boat's Christ, it's all going to heaven. I'm one beggar trying to share another, show another beggar how to get a piece of bread. Dude, if I don't get fed from this, I can't expect y'all to get fed. That's why I spend so much time eating. The word of God, that is. I'm just saying. I need that word of God, dude. I need it. I need it. And if I don't need it, how am I going to convey that to you? Well, Russ, I've been watching you on Facebook, and you need the Word of God. You need to be more like me. No, no, we're all in this together. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. We help apply this together. That's in our small groups and everything that we're doing. But whenever the clergy gets higher, and then there's this laity down here, the church dies, it becomes corrupted, it becomes compromised, it becomes a cadaver, <laughs> if you will. And you know what God does? Every single time, he starts raising people up from the grassroots. He'll start raising up regular, won't he, Zane? He'll just start raising up regular old people. That's it, man, people like me. When God called me to preach, I said, who am I going to, when I got saved and he called me to preach, I said, who am I going to preach to? People I sold drugs to? And he said, for starters. That was 20-something years, 26 years, and longer than that. Dude, 30, Really? 1988, however long that was, but I'm just saying. It's like he starts raising up people in the grassroots that say, I just want to do what you want me to do. And boy, what a joy it was for me to get a job where I could use my big mouth to do something besides getting fights and getting trouble in the bars and stuff. And man, I would never turn back. I, I, I love it. I, I can't believe the honor that he would give me that. But dude, I'm one of you. I really am. We're all together in this, and we help each other see life from God's perspective. 
And that's what I'm raising up. You know how many people in here? That, we don't have church programs. And I'm not saying they're bad or whatever. I'm just saying for us, you know what your church program is? Your church program is when you're out and about in your community, how are you helping somebody see life from God's perspective? That's yours. And because look at how many different ways it's being done throughout here. Zane in the construction industry. You know, Kevin flying a plane. Um, you building tuna towers. I mean, I, 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 is that a good way to put what you do? Yeah, I'm just saying. It's like I, I'm looking through and, and, and our lives change and, our, and our, our different scenarios change. Bob out at the Freedom Boat Club representing Christ. Boat Club for Christ. There we go. I'm just saying. It's not freedom. Which one you're at? Oh, it is freedom. Okay. But yeah, that's what it's about. So he said, man, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He said, look at this, whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, if you hear something from God that needs to be fixed in your life, or you hear something from God that is bringing you encouragement because you're actually doing it. You ever got it right with God? And God says, boy, keep doing this. Like, yeah, <laughs> because he also corrects us but he brings encouragement. He said, to the one who hears what the Spirit's saying, to the one who conquers, we are all conquerors through Christ. We have the ability through grace to do what God wants us to do. What he's giving us a desire to, we have the ability to do it. Hey, Barb, how you doing? Are you still good? Man, I'm just going gonna, gonna to pick on her, right? Because this ain't a real pub, private thing, right? No, it, it, she's like, oh, God, I don't really have a choice right now, do I? But... Barb uh, didn't believe God wanted her to smoke anymore. Now, again, I'm not saying that you have to do the same thing, but she didn't believe God wanted her to smoke anymore. And so she's doing it. And well, what she'd been telling me, she replaced it. Every time she wants to smoke, she's replacing it with either the word of God or praying. Or And how many days are you now? They what? Yeah. Yeah. So, so again... You're conquering that thing God wants you to get out of your life. All right, there'll be other things to conquer. I'm not trying to discourage you, but as soon as this one's over, he'll say, all right, here's another one. Here's another one. And every time you conquer one of these things, what do they give you the confidence to do next time? Conquer the next one. Because you've already are a conqueror. You're already an overcomer in Christ. But some of y'all think you've arrived. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> Nothing left for me to conquer. <laughs> Just, I dare you, ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, get alone, please, because you'll start crying like a baby when he does reveal it. Holy Spirit, what can I do to become more like God? And let him give you that thing to conquer. And that's what it's talking about, because you know what? You got to believe he loves you to want to do it. You know, that was one of the things to, to quit smoking. If God didn't care about you and he's like, quit smoking, you'd be like, well, another person just told me, no, he loves me and he wants the best for me. So I'm going to quit smoking. Because God loves me. When you find out he loves you and he wants something different in your life, you do it. That's the real way to do it, is for the love. And, and guess what? When you die and, and your judgment is, you know what's going to happen? Here's what Paul says in Corinthians, and this is the Eddie paraphrase. And we aren't going to get any farther than Ephesians today, I promise. We're almost done here. But what's going to happen is there's going to be a heavenly dump truck with all of your works, Brad. Everything you've ever done, and it's going to be backing up, and it's going to dump all your works, right? And then Zane, the angels are going to come with what? 
dude, blow torches. <laughs> yeah, man. And I always want to say diesel-powered blow torches. Is there such a thing? What's the most awesome powered blow torch there is, dude? Propane. I'm talking big propane tanks. So, and, and you've got a myriad of angels, and they're just, God's going, they're like ready. How many of y'all pyros want to be one of them angels? You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and yeah, I bet you would. That would be a cool job, wouldn't it? Because we're going to work, we're going to serve with him. So he's like, all right, all my pyro saints, come here. We're going to test some more works. And he says, the works you've done out of love for me, he said, are going to be like gold, silver, and precious jewels. Emily, what happens when you put the most intense propane heat on gold, silver, and precious jewels? It purifies it. It becomes more beautiful. But he said, the works you did with any other motivation are going to be like wood, hay, and stubble. What happens when you put a little big lighter on wood, hay, and stubble? So what do you think is going to happen when they put these big old propane blowtorches and all you pyro saints are going to put it? Chris, you want to be one of them pyro saints? Start praying now, brother. I'm just saying, God, you know, God, if there's such a thing, I'd like to be one of those guys. I know what y'all two are going to be praying for now, but yeah. So your whole giant pile, your whole giant pile gets burnt. Of everything you've done, all the times you've come to church and endured two-hour church services, <laughs> and, and, and all the times you've done, man, all these things for your neighbor, all these things you did, all these things you did, they're all there. But the only ones that are going to last are the ones that were done for Christ, for love for Him. And I think, I'm not positive on this, and when I was reading Revelation, there's going to be elders around the throne. <clears throat> we might be part of that. Good chance we're part of it. And you know what happens with these elders every time it's time to worship Christ? They take their crown. So let's just say you take whatever you have left. Take it to the heavenly blacksmith, jeweler, whatever it is, and they pound it all in the crown. You got a crown. And, and every time it's time to worship, what do they do, Zane? They throw it at Christ's feet. Every time they worship, they throw it at Christ's feet. That should be motivation. That should be motivation because when it's going to be so good there, man, I want to throw it all I can at his feet. But it only happens if I throw it all at his feet right now. So, man, I'm just saying, he said, the one conquers, man, I'm going to grant you to eat at the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And I think that's going to kind of do it. Yeah, we'll go to the crushed church next week. So the idea, again, is, man, it's important what you do for God, but it's even more important why you do it, because that's what's going to last, and that's what counts. Ephesians is going to help us understand that and help us understand that those spiritual blessings are so much better than the temporal blessings that we have. And so um, that's all I got to say about that today in the infamous words of Forrest Gump. Let's pray. Father, I had no idea how far I'd get. I should have known when most of the commentators only get through four churches in a chapter. And I was thinking I might get through seven, but um, Father, I really truly only want to get through as many as you want me to get through. Father, I truly believe that we have heard what we need to hear. And Father, I pray that you would challenge us the way you challenge the Ephesians. To see what our motivation is for what we do. Father, we know the only motivation since we have been bought with a price is to bring you glory. 
So, Father, I pray that even before we do things, we would even ask you, how can you be glorified by me doing this? And if we can't find a way for you to be glorified, maybe avoid doing it or wait for an answer until you show us how you can be glorified. But I pray, Father, our motivation would to bring, be to bring you glory because we love you because we know how much you love us. Father, I can't wait till we get in the book of Ephesians. Oh, I can't wait till we get in to find out all the spiritual blessings that we do have. And it helps us understand even more of how much you love us so we can love you. So, Father, I pray until we get there, I just pray we would know you love us. Nothing comes in our life except by your design. And it's there to make us more like you and bring you glory. I pray we check our motivations and why we do what we do. Father, um, I pray that there's somebody here, again, that's not sure that when they die they're going to heaven. Or if you were to come back and we'd have the rapture, they're not sure they'd be taken up because they don't know they have a personal relationship with you. Father, I pray today you would start, you'd make them a baby Christian. I pray that you would give them life and they would become born again. You give them a desire they can't refuse to surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you. And they would start this wonderful, awesome life that's called eternal life with you. So Father, um, do what you want to do with this message. Um, I believe I spoke what you told me to speak. Father, I'm going to apply what you've told me to apply. And again, I pray that we do it all out of love for you. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.